Well, good morning, guys. Again, this is the third good morning for me. We are so glad that you are here this morning as we continue our series called Hear Us Roar. Uh, today, we are looking at Hannah, so we will be in 1 Samuel, uh, chapters 1, chapter, I just think chapter 1, uh, just chapter 1, and maybe a little chapter 2, but if you want to turn to the beginning of 1 Samuel, that's where we will be today. Uh, when I was growing up, and when I say growing up, I mean real little, uh, remember, especially around third grade, I, I wanted nothing more in life than to play varsity football for Hillcrest High School. Uh, that was my dream. Now, both my older sister and older brother were at Hillcrest at the time, and um, the team was, was really good that year, and I just remember the excitement surrounding them and uh, how much my brother and sister loved going to the games, and they dress up and crazy, and I, I was a big kid. I played Mighty Mites uh, all growing up and played football since second grade. And I, I just wanted to play varsity football at Hillcrest more than anything in the world. Now, uh, you could say, and I will say that that honestly was my dream. Um, but because of my own poor decision, as I started to move up through high school, my sophomore year, I was in line uh, to start uh, varsity on, on the offensive line, and I quit the team uh, because... I was dumb. I don't know how else to put it other than that. But I made a poor decision to quit the team. And so uh, I joined, rejoined my junior year, but I didn't exactly um, paint myself in a light as somebody who could be relied on. Uh, so I didn't really get a chance to play very much varsity my junior year and had to earn that back. Uh, two weeks before my first game, my senior year of high school, I cracked my L4 and L5 vertebrae, broke my back right in half, right at the base of my spine. Um, now, uh, I didn't go see a doctor or anything. I just knew that there was some back pain, and I continued to play on it for about two weeks and uh, got to the point where every morning it was taking me like an hour to get out of bed. I was having to stretch around and move around, and it was just a lot of pain. And so I got out, and so I told my mom, hey, I, you know, I did something. I have to go. And uh, we went and got x-rays, and th they saw it, and they said, well, it, it's... You cracked your vertebrae, but at this point, there's not really a lot to, we can do about it. Um, it's going to cause pain pretty much for the rest of your life based on where the injury's at. But uh, it shouldn't prevent you from playing. If you choose to, we would just tell you don't. <laughs> um, and, and my mom wanted me to stop playing, and my coaches wanted me to stop playing, but they left the decision up to me. And again, this was my dream. Now, perspective, right? My perspective was not great. I was 18 years old. I, I didn't have the greatest grasp on life, and... I was going to play because that was the dream. That's what I wanted. It was finally happening. And so it didn't matter what they said. I was going to go through it. Uh, it didn't end up working out because I, I couldn't physically do it. I, I, I couldn't get through an entire practice. I couldn't get out of bed in the morning. And um, I had to deal with lots of things that at 18 can be difficult to deal with. I de was dealing with a broken dream and a lost identity. My identity was always in football, and, and that's how I identified myself. And I was in constant physical pain. Uh, I didn't handle it well. In my despair, I had an option. I could have chosen to lean and rely on God in that time to get me through it. Um, but I chose the angry, bitter, drug-loving route, uh, which I would not recommend in case anybody is wondering. I, I don't think that that's the route that you should go. Um, and it took its toll itself. Now today we look at Hannah. And Hannah was a, a woman who found herself in one of the greatest despairs that we see in the Bible. She was 
just distraught with her life situation. Um, She chose to do something, though, that I didn't. She leaned on God through the entire situation. And today we see that as Christians, not only do we have to persevere, not only do we have to run the race and stay in it till the very end, but also we have to be people who keep our word. We have to be people of integrity, which is exactly what Hannah was. Hannah leaned on God in her darkest hours. Now, the story begins like this. Hannah was married to a guy named Ephraim. Ephraim had another wife named Peninnah. I'm going to call her Penny, okay? Because Penny is a lot easier to say than Peninnah over and over again. But Ephraim had two wives. So he had Hannah and he had Penny. Penny was able to have children and did have children. Hannah was not. She didn't have any kids. And this was what was causing her deepest and darkest despair and she was wrapped up in that and that day and age especially uh, your worth in a wo- as, as a woman uh, was being able to bear a hair or an heir it's heir the h is silent is to to bear an heir bear an heir hey that's a that's a thing we're going to make a tv show your job as a woman there was to, to bear an heir to your husband and, and to be able to uh, carry on the line and there was just a lot of worth wrapped up in that situation and she couldn't do it and so she felt less than and it was really tough for her now every year Ephraim would take his family to sacrifice to God and he would offer sacrifices for all the people in his family he would offer a double portion for Hannah because he loved her so much and he wanted for her to have this thing that um, he knew that she desired so much in fact my favorite part of the scripture is uh, when Ephraim's talking to Hannah and he he's like aren't you aren't I worth more to you than 10 sons? And and she's kind of like, no, not really. (laughs) She doesn't say that, but like her actions are like, yeah, okay. You know, you feel that way. Um, The thing that made it even worse is that Penny, Penny, no, Penny, that's what we're sticking with. Penny was a jerk. Okay, there's no other way to say it. Penny was a jerk, and she rubbed it in Hannah's face that she could have kids, and she made her feel bad about her inability to do so, to the point that, Penny, that Hannah would be in such despair that she would just not eat. She'd stop eating, and, and they're at one of these feasts in this time when we come to this verse in 1 Samuel 9 through 17. And it says that once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost at the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly, and she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will look on me, look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. No razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk, and he said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. But she replied, Not so, my Lord. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. How many of us our first reaction to suffering is to take it to God. You know, that's good. I have a few hands. You don't have to raise your hand. But I will tell you this. That's not typically my first reaction. 
as I've started to grow with the Lord and I've started to grow up, it has become my first reaction. That's the first place I go. But I'm one of those people who always thinks that they have to handle these things themselves, right? And I look at a lot of situations almost as if like this isn't a big enough deal to bother God with, right? Like he's got other worries. He's got bigger problems than this. And so I'll just handle it. So anytime I face a situation where um, things just aren't going well, my first inclination is to kind of draw, um, circle the wagon, so to speak, right? And draw everything inside and not express that issue and not even go to God with it because I, I, I just feel like I should be able to handle it. But we're supposed to lean and rely on God in life. And when we face situations like these, it's the time that we need to be with God the most, not the time that we need to pull back. How many of us will continue to pray even when discouraged by others, right? Because you see... Hannah's being teased by her fellow wife, I guess that's her sister wife, is that? I don't, by Penny, okay? She's continuing to be teased by her over and over again, and it's despair. And this is what you have to understand. This isn't just like this was happening for a couple months. This is years. It says year after year Ephraim would take his family, and he'd offer the double portion of sacrifice year after year. So for years, the only thing that she desires in her heart is to have a child is to have a son and it's not being received. You know, there's part of us, a lot of us say, yeah, I can go to God with trouble, but what happens when things don't seem to change right away or even in a week or two weeks or a month, things aren't changing? How many of us are still going to God with that same relentlessness, with that same focus, with that same desire, with that same expectancy, right? I think so many of us in that situation would say, well, clearly God doesn't want this to change. So now I've got to deal with it. Or maybe we get mad at God because it hasn't changed and we say, God, you're supposed to be working on my behalf. That's what they tell me in church, that if I pray, then you'll change things and things aren't changing. But we see a situation here where it's years, years and years and years that she's continuing to pray, that she's continuing to petition God, that she's continuing to rely on him and lean on him through the darkest hour in her life. Hannah prayed boldly, she prayed expectantly, and she refused to be discouraged. I find that to be absolutely amazing. Because I, I know how I like to admit my own faults up here. I get discouraged pretty easily. I try not to. I know that I can rely on God. I've had experiences in my past where I have seen God work over and over and over and over again but I can still get pretty easily discouraged when something doesn't quite go my way or when I expect something to go one way and it goes another. But we can't ever let up. We can't ever give up because we serve a God that at any time, that at any time can change the direction of our life. And maybe we're stuck in a situation that we're currently in because God is still trying to teach us through it. But that doesn't mean that at any point we should give up on God and we should forget what it is that, that He has promised us and that is that He will walk with us through life. Colossians 4, 2-4 says, Devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Now these verses, these just couple verses are filled with so much goodness about prayer. There's two things that apply to today that I want us to look at. First, where it tells us to devote ourselves in prayer. 
When we pray, we have to be steadfast. We cannot let ourselves get easily discouraged about the way that we think things are going. Okay? We can't see something and say, well, clearly it's not going my way, so now I will give up. Because we serve a God who never gives up on us. And so I don't think that it's right for us to ever give up on Him. I think that we have to continue to, to, to persevere and continue to fight as long as we're doing it in a righteous manner. John Piper, famous theologian, states, he says that perseverance is the greatest test of the genuineness in Christian life. Perseverance is the greatest test of genuineness in the Christian life. One of the things that shows our commitment to God is our ability to keep pushing even when things aren't working out for us. It's the ability to stick with Him for the long haul. It's the ability to finish the race. That no matter the bumps and bruises that we take, that no matter the things that aren't going the way that we want them to go in our life, we say we are still with God. We are still with God. Often, um, we, the second thing, second thing, we have to be watchful in our prayers, right? Watchful in our prayers. And that means that we are focused on our prayers, that we are making sure that we are being watchful of not letting anything else distract us from the task at hand. Now, another tattle on the pastor. I chase rabbits oftentimes when I'm in prayer. Like I'll be praying to God about something and being praying specifically about that situation and then I'll start thinking about that situation and think about like, well, he did this and then she said that and then this and now I gotta do that and God, I need... And, and it's just like, oh yeah, I was praying. Oh yeah, I was praying. I don't think that's an uncommon thing. I, I'm seeing a lot of head nods and a lot of smiles. Like, I feel like a lot of us do that. But God deserves our, our, our devout attention. He deserves our complete focus. And when we pray, and when we are praying expectantly, if we want to see God move, we have to give Him our all. We have to give Him our all. And we can't allow ourselves to be distracted by other things. So whether that means that we find ourselves a quiet, dark room where it's just us and God and there's nothing that can distract us or whatever that may mean, whether it just means that we're more conscious of the fact that we have to continue to talk to God and not be distracted by the things that we're praying about or the noises that are going on in our house or the job, the task, the job that we have to do. We need to focus on what it is that we are praying about. Hannah embodied these two things. She was a world-class prayer. Now, as the story continues, God hears Hannah's prayers and he blesses her with a child. It's the child that she has desired more than anything in the world. It's the thing that she has been chasing for years and years and years. So as you can imagine, Hannah loved this child. Right now, we all love our children. Sometimes we think that they make it difficult, right? Sometimes we think they make it difficult, but we all love our children. I love my two little girls no matter what, even when last night... Cordelia decided, or Winifred decided to wake up at 2 a.m. in the morning and literally scream for the next three hours. Okay? I still loved her then. Not, didn't feel like it, right? I wanted to love her in her crib in her room with the door closed and the monitor off. But I still loved her no matter what. We know as parents what it's like to love our children, but can you imagine being in a situation like that where all you've ever wanted is a child and you weren't, that wasn't being able to, to take place for you. And over a years and years and years, you're praying for this and it finally happens. Only to have to give your child away. Because Hannah shows us something else. She was a woman of her word. Hannah was a woman of her word and she shows us that integrity isn't optional. 
1 Samuel chapter 1, 21-28. When her husband Elkanah went up with his family to offer an annual sacrifice to the Lord and fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. And Elkanah responded, or he says, Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. Stay here until you've weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live. I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord, and he, will, and he worshiped the Lord there. Hannah's actions are counterintuitive to her feelings. I'm going to go ahead and make that bold statement. Hannah finally has the thing that she's wanted more than anything in the entire world. She loves her son. I'm willing to bet that she wants to protect her son and that she doesn't want to lose her son. And yet we see her still giving her child over to the temple. Giving her child over to the temple. Now this doesn't make a whole lot of sense except for the fact that we saw earlier in Scripture that she made a vow to God that if God would bless her with the child, then she would give the child over to his service. She said she was going to do something, and she did it. That's called integrity. That's called integrity. My grandfather, who's here today, has taught me a number of lessons in life. But the most important lesson, he may not agree, but the most important lesson, the lesson that has stuck with me the most is this. If you tell somebody you're going to do something, you do it. If you tell somebody you're going to do something, you do it. But too often in life, we determine whether or not we keep our word based on our feelings. I said I was going to do this. I said I was going to do this. But I just don't feel like it anymore. I just don't feel like it anymore. Like I told them I would help them move, but it's today and I'm not really feeling it. Maybe I was all gung-ho that day, but now not so much. And so now I'm not going to do it. Maybe the lesson here is um, that we don't make rash decisions, right? Maybe it's an emotional decision. I, I, I said I would do something when, when this was going on and I felt one way, but now time has passed and I just don't feel that way anymore and, and the decision doesn't really match up with where I'm at and so I, I just I can't do it. And so maybe we don't make rash decisions. Maybe the lesson is that we suck it up and we do it anyways. Why? Because we said we would. Because we said we would, and as Christians, we are supposed to be people of integrity. Why? Because we serve a God who is a God of integrity, who when he says he will do something, he does it. He does it. And we are supposed to represent God in that way, and we are supposed to be that same type of being, that when we say something, people know that it will be done. People know that we will be done. Now, you say, Pastor, is there ever a time uh, that we shouldn't keep our word, that we agree to do something and we don't do it? Yes. Let's say that you said, Bill, I will help you rob that bank. Okay? And then on second thought, you come to realize, I probably shouldn't rob a bank. This is not a good idea, Bill. Then maybe you tell Bill, Bill, I can't do what I said I was going to do. Right? There are instances where, yes, we have to 
go back on some of the things that we said, but this is what must happen. We must own it. We must own it. Now, I'm not talking about the robbing a bank situation, but let's say that we agree that we are going to do something, right? Like, hey, I'm going to help you move. I'm going to help you move. Now I've got the flu. I've got the flu. I'm sick. I'm going to spread it. Like, I know I said I was going to help you move, but I'm calling you up. Listen, I've got the flu. I don't want to give you the flu. If it's okay with you, I'm not going to move. You know what they're going to tell you? Yeah, please stay home. It's bad enough I've got to move. I don't want the flu also, right? So there are times... There are times when we give a promise, when we say something that, yes, that promise must be broken. But we need to make sure that we clearly communicate why that is, why that is, and our uh, intention to make it right. And our intention to make it right. I get teased a lot by Jerrica at home because she says my favorite word is no. Right? Cordelia says, hey, can we do this? And my first inclination is to say no. And this is why. Because I don't want to tell my daughter that, yes, we'll do it and then something come up, and we not do it. Not do it. It's better to tell her no, and for her to be a little upset at the beginning, than for her to build up these expectations that we're going to do the thing that she wants to do, and then it not happen. And then it not happen. You know, we went to this uh, daddy-daughter dance this week. Some of you saw it if you're friends with me on Facebook. We went to a daddy-daughter dance on Friday, me and Cordelia, and we had a good time, and it it was a great night. Uh, Before that happened, Jerrica told her I was going to take her to this thing. Now listen, I don't have any problem with that necessarily, but what about the million different things that might come up, right? What about the million things that might come up that make that promise broken? And I didn't want her little heart to be broken because we told her we would do something and then we couldn't do it. When that situation arises, when we come to that, we just have to be honest about it. But also, I'm I'm real protective of my word because I don't want to give anybody my word and then not come through. Nothing honestly makes me feel worse than that. Proverbs 11.3 says that the integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. See, not only does integrity keep us on the up and up, but it prevents our destruction also. We talked about last week about how important our reputations are and, and the importance of being loyal. Well, I think loyalty and integrity go hand in hand. Being a person who goes back on his or her word destroys our ability to be trusted, right? And if we can't be trusted... How can we expect people to believe in our testimony? And if we can't be trusted, how can we expect people to believe in our God? Because if we are the representation of our God and we are untrustworthy people, then our God might be untrustworthy as well. How many times have you heard somebody say, I don't want to go to church because I don't want to be like those people, right? I don't want to be with those people. And you talk to them about a situation where they had their hearts broken, where they were extremely let down by somebody's actions. Because the integrity behind those actions just wasn't there. If people can't trust us to meet them for lunch when we say we will, or help them move when we say that we'll do it, or pay them back when we borrow money from them, how can we expect them to trust us when we tell them that they need Jesus? How can we expect them to trust us when we tell them that they can be forgiven? How do we expect them to trust us when we tell them that we love them? just doesn't work. It doesn't compute. And so if we want the things that we say that we want, if we want people to trust in our God, we want people to trust in us, we have to be people who are filled with integrity. We have to be people who people can trust. When we say yes, it means yes. 
Matthew 5, 33, 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. We shouldn't swear because we shouldn't have to. Swearing is like a favorite pastime of little kids. And when I say swearing, I don't mean curse words, kids. No swearing. I mean that like kids really like to make a promise, right? They don't just want to say yes. They, they triple dip cherries on top, all that stuff. Like, you know, they, I mean, they, they, make, they pack it on times infinity, times a thousand. If you don't do this, stick a needle in your eye, jump on a crack, your mom's back, all this stuff. Like kids don't want a simple yes or no. They want you to know that they mean what they say. But that should not be our MO. When we say yes, people should trust that what we say yes to is going to take place. Because that's what integrity is. Someone who has to swear to you is someone that let you down. Someone who has to swear to you is someone that let you down. And if you're the person who has to swear to someone else that you're going to do something, that means that you have let them down in the past. That means that you are that person. No one should have to swear anything to you if they are trustworthy and if they have shown that over and over and over they will do what they say they will do. Hannah showed us exactly what it looks like to fulfill this scripture. She gave her word to God and she kept it. So this is my question today. Can you, do you, will you follow in Hannah's lead? Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. I thank you that you are a God of integrity. I thank you, that you for the fact that you are a God that says you will do something and then that th- something will be. And because that is the case, God, we can trust you. We can trust when you say that our sins can be forgiven. We can trust when you say that you love us. We can trust when you say that you will guide us in life and that we don't have to walk through this thing alone. God, forgive us that sometimes we muddy the waters for people, that we, in our own faults and our own sin and our own inability to, at times, keep our word, shed a negative light on you and make people think that somehow our character is representative of yours because it's not, but it should be. It should be. So God, I pray for each and every person here today that, that they take to heart the notion that when we say we will do something, We must do it. Let us be people of our word that when we say yes, people can trust that yes and know that because they said it, it's going to happen. Lord, we lift this body up to you today and just ask that you help us to continue to push forward walking in your will, walking in your ways and bringing truth to all those that need to hear it. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.